4,000 years ago, a man heard a voice speak to him, and today, 2.5 billion Christians, 15 million Jews, and 1.8 Muslims all say that this man is at the beginning of their story, and they all call him Father Abraham. Jews claim Abraham through his wife Sarah. Muslims claim Abram through their ancestor Hagar, and even Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians, claim Abraham through Jesus, which means four billion people on planet Earth today who say they believe in one God revere this man as a kind of spiritual head. This fall, we're starting a new series all about his entire life story called A Name, A Land, A Son, and a blessing. These are the four promises God makes to Abraham, or for his original name, Abram. So, in the interest of us remembering these four promises, let's say them out loud together, okay? God promises Abraham a name, a land, a son, and a blessing. I'm going to make you keep repeating that over the course of this series so it's seared into your brain, okay? These are so important because Abraham's story is what we want to be a part of. And that's what Christians believe, that we are included in his story. And his story begins in the very beginning of Genesis, in chapter 11. Uh, and you, we're going to talk about stories you may be familiar with, uh, like his journey to the promised land, his circumcision, the binding of his son Isaac. We're also going to talk about very strange stories, the time that he mustered an army to save his nephew Lot, his dangerous trips among the Egyptians. We'll even talk about the time that Abraham made a meal for angels. Okay, We're going to talk about some familiar stories, some strange stories, but my hope is that you come away with a deeper understanding of him because the one true God cannot be separated from Abraham. God, the Lord, chose Abraham and to work through his family. I want you to know his biography, but I also want you to know his theology, what he comes to believe about God, the God who speaks to him. This morning, Nolan read for us two back-to-back -back stories, one in Genesis chapter 11 and the other in Genesis chapter 12, and they are often told separately. There's the story of the Tower of Babel, and there's the story of the call of Abraham, but they are set back-to-back -back in two chapters connected to each other. Okay, so we're going to read these in the way that they're presented in the book of Genesis together, okay? And I want you to keep two questions in mind as we read, okay? What is the religion of Babel? How do the citizens of this city come to view God? And then second, what is the religion of Abram? What does he learn about God? Because I think that there is a fundamental difference between these two viewpoints. I don't think you can reconcile them. If you view God in the way that all the citizens of Babel view God, you will always be disappointed by God. He will, you'll always view him as a kind of oppressive force against your plans. But if you have the viewpoint of Abram and his theology, I think you'll appreciate God as a God of grace and love and mercy. So there's a fundamental difference. If you have the viewpoint of the former, you'll always be disappointed in him. Okay, so we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 11 and we're going to walk through this story. If you have a Bible underneath your seat, uh, it's actually on page 8. It's in the very beginning uh, of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible underneath your seat or with you, we're going to put all the verses 
on the screen, okay? Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is what we read. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. All right. Already we know that this bland society is, is enforcing uniformity and conformity. Okay? They settle in a place they find. They want to be there by themselves, and they all speak the same language. And the only thing that they can distract themselves with is a building project. In verse 3, they say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. At this point, you don't even know what the bricks are for. They're just trying to busy themselves. And then they come up with a plan after the fact. Come, let us build ourselves a city with these bricks, with a tower that reaches up to the heavens. And their stated purpose in the next verse, in verse 4, is so that we may make a name for ourselves. I want us all to read out that bullet together, okay? So that we may make a name for ourselves. That's the purpose that they state for their own project. And they say, otherwise... If we don't get our way, we will be scattered over the whole face of the earth. Okay? So this is what they keep saying. I want you to know, pay very close attention to all these details. They say, let us make bricks. Let us build. Let us make a name for ourselves. It's all focused on their ambitious plans and the one faith that they want to avoid. They don't want to be scattered. Okay? So there's a societal purpose to this tower, and there's a theological purpose. The societal purpose is to keep everybody together. We've got to keep everybody in line and in one spot. And then the other purpose is to reach what height? Where do they want to go? Say it out loud. The heavens. They want to build their way up to the realm of the gods. Okay? Now, in the 21st century, this building project may seem very tame to you. What's the big deal? It has sin written all over it, okay? I want to walk you through these reasons why this is very, very sinful. First of all, think back to what Adam and Eve were told by God to do in Genesis chapter 2. He said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Y'all remember that? I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What, what do they want to do? They don't want to build the earth. They view that as being scattered. They want to stay in one spot. Second, think back to Genesis 3 and the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Satan tricks Adam and Eve by saying, you won't die of the eat of, uh, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will become like what? Gods. The Tower of Babel is just a new version of an old sin. They're trying to make themselves like gods. They're trying to build a tower right up to the heavens. Third problem. This is the original search for fame and acclaim, right? They want to make what for themselves? A name. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be known by everybody. Fourth and finally, what do they need to build that tower? They need complete uniformity, one language, one common speech, to stay put and work and make bricks. Okay, so that's four bad things, right, in one tower. They want to disobey God's original command. They want to become like God, which is a big problem. They want to become famous among humans, and they need to do that by enforcing uniformity. Okay, this is not to mention the cost of lives when you build a very high tower. Now, here's the irony. After all of this 
Exalted language of come, let us build, let us make a name for ourselves. We're going to go all the way up to the heavens. What's the very first verse after that? In verse 5, the Lord came down to see this city and the tower that people were building. You just got to imagine God with binoculars. Like, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to do all the way down there? They think they can get all the way up to heaven. They're not even close, and God has to squint to see their tiny little projects. The little tower that they're trying to make. God says, if as one people, speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Okay, y'all. God is not worried about being challenged by these people. God, you can almost see him shaking his head. It's like no matter how crazy their plans are, they can always come up with a crazier plan, a more foolish plan. So God decides to disrupt this plan. Right? These are like kids taking a joyride in dad's car. They're going to hurt themselves and others. And so God has to undo their plan. In verse 7, it reads, come, let us go down. Right? He even uses, God uses his, their own phrase, right? Oh, y'all got a bunch of sweet little cute plans. I've got a plan. Let us come down and confuse their language so they won't understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is definitely a punishment from God, but it, I think it doubles as a gift, right? He confuses their language because if they can't communicate at all, they're not going to keep going through with the next steps of this crazy plan. The horrible plan stops, fewer people are hurt, and God even gets what he wants. They fill the earth. And in verse 9 we read, this is why it was called Babel. Because the Lord confused their language. They were babbling. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face, over the whole earth. Okay? This is what I, what I want us to stop here and, and focus on for a second before we go to chapter 12. This is the truth. If you have the view of the citizens of Babel, God will always seem oppressive to you. Right? God's original command is to fill the earth. And they say, oh no, that's going to that's gonna scatter us. And we see this in our own lives, right? If you're prideful, you will view God as an enemy. If you're ambitious and trying to make a name for yourself, then you're going to hate humility, which is what God wants for all of us. If you want to enforce conformity, you're going to hate God's plan to fill the earth and subdue it. All of his commands, all of his words will seem like slavery when in reality they're meant for freedom. Okay? Now, if you have a Bible open, turn to chapter, chapter 12, all right? These stories are often disconnected, but they're back-to-back they're -back in Scripture. And I think you will see a totally different view of God through the eyes of Abram, okay? Starting in verse 1, without any prayer or prompting by Abraham, God speaks and says, Go. Go from your home country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name what? Great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's stop right here. I'm sorry to interrupt, but these are the generations of Shem, which means name. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. This, this, this theme of a name is so important. The, the citizens of Babel, 
want to what? Make a name for themselves. And God says to Abram, I, I will make your name great. Right? This is, this is Abram's call. It's his commission. And what's so amazing about it, it's not a request. He's not asking Abram, hey, what do you want to do? God calls him. He says, travel to the land I will show you. And frustratingly, God does not give a lot of details about what he's going to experience on the way. I just want you to go here. And here are the promises he makes. He says, I will make your name great. That's one. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. He says, I will make you into a great nation. And we haven't said this yet. Abram and his wife, Sarai, are Abram is 75 years old, and they currently don't have kids. All right, Sarah has been barren for a long time, which means that God is going to have to intervene to make this happen. That's the son. And then finally, God promises to bless them. And I just, I love that in the very next verse, in verse 4, it just says, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. He was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. They just pick up and go. All right, we're going to put two columns on the screen of the differences between chapter 11 and chapter 12. Right? The citizens of Babel make a name for themselves, or at least they try to. Abram, God says to him, I will make your name great. If the citizens of Babel, they want to build a tower up to heaven. What happens in chapter 12? God comes down to Abram and speaks to him. They pick this land and decide, hey, we're all going to settle here and live here. No one else is going to leave. And then God says, I want you to go to a land I will show you. They have one speech and one city, total uniformity. And God says to Abram, I'm going to bless the world, all the nations of the earth through you. Y'all, you cannot reconcile these two views. It's impossible. You either choose the theology of Babel or the theology of Abram. There's no middle ground. Now, I think at this point, someone in the 21st century might ask, I mean, are we ever really tempted to do what the citizens of Babel do? Is that a realistic temptation for us? And the short answer is, you better believe it is. Do we ever... Just ask yourself this. Do we ever try to transcend our human limitations? Just say it out loud. Yes. Right? Do we struggle with ambitious pride? Yes. Do we try to seek notoriety and fame? Yes. Do we crush diversity through conformity to single-minded projects? Yes, we do. Now, to be sure, the difference between these two columns is not about safety. Right? It's not like that one is safe and one is dangerous. They're both, they're both really risky. Right? God's call to Abram is not safe. I mean, he's leaving security. He's leaving comfort. He's leaving where he knows. And he's going to the unknown and to the uncomfortable. We even read in a verse later on in the chapter, at that time, Canaanites were in the land. I want you to put this verse up on the screen. For anybody who is reading this, they would know this is not great news. This isn't going to be a land of peace and harmony and no conflict at all. Abram is moving to occupied lands. That's, that means there's going to be a lot of conflict. 
each morning, Allison and I do a little bit of, of, of a kind of devotional, and we pick one book in Scripture that we're going to read through chapter by chapter, and we chose Joshua. Man, that's a weird book to read first thing in the morning. There's a lot of death and violence and, and fighting, and it's, it's, it's indicative of what's happening right here, right? We're already being warned in chapter 12. There are Canaanites in the land. There's going to be fights between Abraham's descendants and the descendants of of these folks right here. But despite the uncertainty, beside, you know, despite the risk, Abram worships God. I love this verse. When God says to your offspring, I will give this land, his first response is he built an altar there to the Lord. What did the citizens of Babel do? They build a what? A tower to make their name great. Abram builds what? An altar to glorify God's name. Right? There's worship of self and there's worship of God. And I think that the difference between these two things is both a, a warning and, and really good news. And we're going to put this up on the screen and I'm going to try to explain it to the best of my ability. I think what this, these two stories are saying back to back is we are either made who we are by God or by our human projects and our pride and our ambition, we unmake ourselves. Right? The Tower of Babel and the city is abandoned. It's, it's left. You know, before they even really get going in this project, it's, it's totally ruined. But guess what? The family of Abraham endures. Right? Because we're made who we are by God or we ruin our lives. We unmake ourselves. I think this is so important for all of us. If you try to write your own story, you're written out of the story that matters. But if you let God write your story, it will never end. Jesus says this very simply in the Gospels. He says, if you try to keep your life, what's going to happen? You're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, what will happen? You'll find it. We're either made who we are by God or we unmake ourselves. Who we are is dependent upon God. I love chapter 12 because God takes the initiative. God makes the first move. Abram doesn't call out to God. God just appears out of the blue and speaks. He reveals himself to Abram. Now, if we have Babel's perspective in life, I think we'll get so frustrated with God. And we'll consider his plans evil. And we'll see him as an oppressive force against our freedom. But if we take Abram's perspective... I don't think we'll hate or resent God. I think we'll do what Abram does. We'll pick up our bags and we'll get moving. I want to spend some time praying this morning for the obedience of Abraham. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we see your incredible call to go where you will show Abraham. We see that with this call and commission, you make unearned, unmerited promises that you swear you will keep for a name, a land, and a son, and a blessing. And Abram's response is just to pack up his bags and go. Father, whatever your call or commission 
for us is. We pray for that obedience. We pray for that kind of response that we would pack up our bags and go. That we would do exactly what you want us to do. Without hesitation, without questions, without doubt, that we would pick up and go. So many of us still have those doubts and still have those questions, still have that hesitancy. And I ask, Father, that you would help us carry those with us, to not be bogged down by them, to not stay even when you tell us to go. Father, as we look through the story of Abram, we pray for his faith, his obedience, that we would learn from him, but most of all, learn about you, come to know you through his story. Father, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.